0: This week, Father Paul explains what theology does not want to accept, that God is one, and he is the judge. He is neither good nor bad. He is the just judge. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent. Notice the play against Jacob now. It is as though the text is asking you to follow the action of Israel and not Jacob. Let's hear it even in the translation. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Tower you encountered for the first time in Genesis chapter 11 with the tower of Babel. They wanted to build a tower whose top head would reach the heavens. Okay, we talk enough about that. So the text is trying to push Jacob, who is now Israel, towards doing the right thing. And this culminates in the name Eder, which again in English does not mean anything. But the Hebrew Eder means flock. It's one of the two words referring to flock. So hearing Hebrew, it is unmissable what the author is trying to tell you. That ultimately, the reality is in the reality of the shepherd life that is based on a gift from God. Remember oasis, you don't build oasis and you do not plant oasis. The oasis, the garden is planted by God himself and you just enjoy it. And The following two verses are very interesting because it shows you that the situation in the house of Israel, notice, not Jacob, but Israel is really bad so long as he and his followers are interested in building their own buildings, in other words, in defining the life of their family and not accepting it as a gift from God and it's a big hit that Reuben the firstborn went and lay with Bilha, his father's concubine and that is understood in all civilizations even European civilizations is that you are taking the place of your father you want to push him aside it's like when the son marries the Queen mother and so on and you have it in the famous play of Oedipus and so on. It's all over the place. In other words, you can build whatever you want to build as a king and so on, and it can collapse. And we're going to meet this again. I love scripture because it sounds like me, again and again and again and not Allah-Orthodox, let us pray to the Lord because it's your product, again and again and again. May he rest in peace, Father Schmemann used to be frustrated with that, you know. Okay, again and again, let's listen to scriptures. And that was not a good thing. And then you have the names of the rest of the family, But already it is tainted because the story of the firstborn is about an action that would dismantle whatever Jacob and his children would want to build for themselves. And then the text reminds the reader, because the text is not addressed to Jacob, it is addressed to the hearer one more time, that these are the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Padan Aram. One more time, we met it in verse 9, and here we have it again. And the passage ends nicely with Jacob, came to his father Isaac, at Mamre or Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 23 with Abram who moved his tent and dwelt at Mamre, which is a root in uh, Semitic languages, Aramaic, that has to do with the word like the bar. But I commented in my book again about Kiryat Arba in Hebrew, which is the village of four, which means an encompassing village that brings together the four corners, which is a place of inclusion, and the text says, that is Hebron. I mean, it's unmissable. Mamre, Kiryat Arba, and Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned, and also are buried. And then the culmination, very beautiful, where at the burial of Isaac, in Hebron, it's not just at the burial of Isaac, you have to keep the texts in mind, in Hebron. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him, notice, the sequence, Esau and Jacob buried him. Which means they arrived at a situation of peace between the two of them. I mean, Esau did not have anything against Jacob. It is Jacob who was the culprit with his mother against Esau. And we commented enough about Esau receiving him in peace whereas Jacob was fearing the encounter with Esau and then everything ends up in peace in conjunction with the earth where their father is buried and where they too will be buried in Hebron. So if you wait a little bit, you will see that Esau and Jacob continued their close relationship, the new relationship in peace, until their burial in Hebron. And to remind my hearers, uh, sometimes I forget to make the comments, I'm assuming that they heard it before. Hebron is from Erut, Habur, Heber, that means company. Okay, the brotherhood of people who are together in a certain community, from the same root. Habur Hebron. So here again we have a full chapter that would be totally both wrong and ultimately misunderstood, if you make it into a movie just by taking names and producing an episode of a TV show. That's not scripture. Scripture is what it is. And then we move to Genesis chapter 36 and I'm going to just present it as a totality because this is how it is conceived. I'm not going to go through every name and so on. The main point of this chapter, and I referred to this in my commentary on Genesis, that God never forgets anyone, even after the act of election. Because here, people are not interested in Esau. Imagine someone trained in the tradition of uh, the church and Judaism, and uh, you know, it's Jacob, Jacob, Israel and so on, and you gloss over Esau, especially when the whole chapter is just names you can't figure out what their meaning and what they are doing here. But let's hear it as a totality. From the beginning, the title of this chapter is Ele Toledot. These are the Toledot. Which means that the author is giving to Isu as much importance as he gave to Isaac, and then Ishmael, remember, he does not forget Ishmael, he deals with their Toledot in chapter 25. But here we have the Toledot of Esau, and then, that is Edom. This is repeated, just to show you the importance of the matter, in verse 9, where we hear, these are the Toledot of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. Preceded by verse 8, where we hear, So Esau dwelt in the hill country of Seir, which is Sa'ir. In Hebrew that has to do with hair, hairy. Remember, Esau was hairy. Here again, the name Seir is not just Seir, it is the Hebrew Seir. Esau is Adam. Interesting in the Bible, all over the place. There is no difference between the name of the forefather and the name of the area and the country of his progeny. You know, you have it in modern times. In the name given to a kingdom, can you imagine? A modern kingdom is called by the name of the forefather. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia. In Arabic is just As-Sa'udiya, which means of those who pertain to Saud, their grandfather. Okay, this is how things go and I referred often to my family tree. That has the title on top. The grandfather David was in Gaza in 1753. Where he came from, what he did, it doesn't matter. We're talking about the Tarazi family tree in Gaza. It starts with David, which means the Tarazis of Gaza are Bene Dawid, the where human beings are Bene Adam. Friends, unless you submit to this, and you're not enamored with your Western individualism, then there is no hope. For you, there is no hope already, as I keep telling you, you're done with, you know. But there is no hope for the generations yet unborn, and it is your duty to channel to them the hope as inscribed in scripture. Let me push this aside and say a few words which I said earlier again but it's good to repeat, most probably have forgotten it, that seer and Adam and another word Paran which is from the root of Hebrew that means light in the sense of beaming are connected with the same Mountain, from which the Lord comes, you have it in Psalms. He comes from Paran, from Edom, from Seir, which means it is the mountain of God. Now I know that it has two other names, Sinai and Horeb, but it is the same area, and that is something that Christian theology and uh, even Jewish theology, much less, but still, they don't like it. They want to differentiate between Esau and Jacob, but the text does not do that. The Lord comes from Adam, and to push my luck even further in my commentary on Isaiah, when I discussed the text which is against the mountains or the mounts of Adam, it is very important, because again in the Hebrew Adam means red and thus it reflects fire and blood. And thus Adam is the mountain of judgment ultimately. And again this is something that theology does not want to accept. They want to split God into the good one and the bad one. No, God is one and He is the judge. He is neither good nor bad. He is the just judge. His action is a mishpat. It's His decision. And most often, as the case with the father in the parable of the prodigal son, when he decides against you he is good, how many times I repeated, against the people, especially the Orthodox who have a special Sunday before Lent, making it the prodigal son, and everyone is a Pharisee, self-assigned righteous, that I am the repentant. Well, in the parable, the father shoves aside the repentance of the prodigal son. He said, I am not going by your wish. Your repentance is lip service, because you're interested in coming back to your position in my house, the way you would like it which is a reflection that you are always a repentant. There is self-righteousness, friends. This is false modesty. But who's going to accept what I just said? No one, but I don't care. That's what the text is saying. And the father says, what goes in this house is what I decide, not you, not even your tears. Okay? pretty harsh, Father Paul, but don't blame me. Just blame your scripture, if indeed you consider it yours. I'm not sure if you do. You have your own scripture in your translation and in your Sunday school program, where suddenly the prodigal son becomes the highest expression of sainthood. Are you kidding me? He's just interested in his ego. He decides to do what he wants to do every time he wants to do it. It doesn't work like that. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.